Hello and welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Pauly. This week is another special episode where I was interviewed on the Tent Making Christianity podcast with Drew and David. This week we talked about all the different ways that I am doing youth apologetics. So I hope you enjoy the episode of Tent Making Christianity. Hello and welcome to the Tent Making Christianity podcast. My name is Drew. And I'm David. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And we are joined again this week by Ryan Polly of Coffee House Questions. Uh, this is his second week with us. And last week we talked a little bit about how his ministry got started and how he grew it uh, before he got his degree in apologetics. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, highly recommend you go back and listen to that. And uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us again this week. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited for part two. So are we. So we touched on it a little bit last week, uh, the youth exodus from the church. And basically, whatever study you look at from whatever denomination, the numbers are pretty uh, standard, usually between 60 and 80 percent of youth who grow up in the church and are active in youth group walk away from the church uh, once they leave and go off to college. Is that um, a pretty accurate statement? Yeah, it's it's across the board. And what you see is, yeah, 60, 80 percent, um, they're walking away. I think what's important to recognize is, is things that Jay Warner Wallace has even been finding in, in more re, uh, research lately of they, they are leaving kind of when they're in college, but they're actually leaving sooner. Made up their mind in high school and uh, and they actually have left while they're still in youth group. They've left while they're still with their parents and people are unaware of it. I even talked with a student recently, and he said, yeah, this is happening at my church. Students are walking away, and the parents are shocked. They had no idea uh, that their students were even doubting Christianity. Uh, but it's finally when they get out of the house, and they have that freedom, and then it's like, okay, I'm done. Uh, and and I think that's true. It's what's happening. Yeah, Jay Warner Wallace talks about that perfect storm where they're away from home the first time. You know, there's no supervision. They're exposed to challenges to their worldview, and then they're also offered an alternative that let them, you know, sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend or partake in alcohol or drugs without any perceived consequences. And it just all comes together to where they've got the freedom now. We didn't really give them a good reason to believe. And now they've got the opportunity to walk away. So you work with high school students right now. Um, are you seeing this in your classroom? Are you getting a lot of questions or do you get the sense that Maybe some of these students who grew up in the church don't have a firm grasp on the basics of Christianity? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely that. My, my classroom is very unique in the sense that I work at an international school. And so about 70% of our students are from mainland China. Hmm. And uh, so I actually teach mostly atheists, which is its own story, but it was pretty much a massive answer to prayer where my prayer in my ministry was, God, I want to do apologetics and make a defense to high school students who are not Christians. I want to make, I want to help non-Christian students see the reasonableness of Christianity. And then I went, you know, I don't know how that was ever going to happen. When, when is a non-Christian high school student ever going <laughs> to sit through an apologetics lecture? But hey, in the meantime, I'm going to get a job at this Bible school, uh, this, this Christian school teaching Bible to pay the bills. And in my interview, the principal said, I just want to let you know, teaching Bible here is very hard because most of our students are not Christian. And I said, I'll take the job. Uh, <laughs> just a massive answer to prayer. So what I find is that, so the majority of my students, yeah, they're not Christians. Uh, they're, they're understanding this for the very first time in my class. 
Um, and it's very interesting to see that uh, aspect and, and to see them really be challenged in their thoughts and, and the way that they've just assumed the cult, as the culture's taught them, uh, which is that secular, kind of the Marxist secular, um, atheistic and, and evolutionary framework. Um, but with my Christian students, which is a minority, I have found that uh, that there are those that, uh, you know, it, it's just not that serious to them. And, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm at a Christian school and I've grown up in a Christian family. But uh, what I find is that, man, in my class, they I, they get challenged because what the fun part is, is that all the atheists, which outnumber them greatly, are asking so many questions. And we talk about such difficult issues. It really encourages them and actually challenges them to think through things they've never thought about. Uh, one kid just graduated last week and he said, you made me think about things that I didn't even think existed. <laughs> you know, I never <laughs> thought I would be thinking about these things before. And it really does grow uh, the faith of the students uh, that I have. That actually sounds like a really exciting environment and potentially really good for these Christian students because they get to kind of get that college pushback experience while still in a more regulated Christian environment, you know, with a knowledgeable teacher and structure involved that could actually be really healthy. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, when I first went in, I thought, oh, you know, I'll do an atheist role play or bring someone in to really challenge these kids. And then I realized every day is an atheist role. You know, these yeah, yeah, role play <laughs> students are challenging every day and I don't need to role play it. It's real. And what I and I and I can specifically remember some notes from Christian students that they wrote me and even some really quiet ones that would never talk in class. And they would write me a note and say, man, I just appreciate this class so much because they're asking all the questions I have and you're answering them. And, and it shows that there, there really are answers to this. And that's just one of the coolest things for me is is students who have grown up in the church that haven't thought about the deep things in life and really challenging them to think through. And, and I mean, in my worldview class, I teach on I teach secularism and I and I have a lecture where I show Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett saying that consciousness is an illusion and and you are determined in all of your actions. And, you know, how do you respond to this? And they have no idea. You know, these are ideas and these are concepts that they've never heard about. And so it is really fun being able to present it to them in that controlled environment, but also in an environment where I see them, you know, hours every week that we can really take time and and dig through this. It's not like a lot of the, the lectures I give where you get 45 minutes to present on secularism and scientism. It's, you know, hey, well, let's take two weeks and really dig through this. And it, it's, it is very, very rewarding and encouraging. I'm curious, what kind of feedback and responses have you been getting from the atheist students? Are they engaging in this? Do they seem pretty knowledgeable or are they kind of just in the same boat as the Christian students just on the other side of the coin? Yeah, I would say there are some that are extremely knowledgeable. Um, there are some that research very well. And um, but obviously, and I think you guys understand this, is that uh, with the truth on the side of Christianity, Christianity is going to make sense because it's true. And there are going to be problems and mistakes and fallacies in other belief systems because they're not true. And so they often don't see those uh, mistakes. They often don't see those. And then I, and, and but it is fun. And, I, and they actually, I had a class ask me just this other week as, as the school year's winding down, they said, what is, what kind of student do you hate? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I don't know if I should answer that question, right. but I'll tell you the kind of student that bothers me. And it's the one that disagrees with me and says, well, you're wrong. I don't believe any of this stuff. And then I say, well, why? And they go, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And I just, it's super apathetic, but against everything I'm teaching. Uh, the students who are knowledgeable, who really uh, know what's going on, 
It's awesome. But what I found is that the vast majority of them are either, well, you have the apathetic ones, you have the very knowledgeable ones um, that really push back and really challenge me to think and, and articulate what I say very clearly. Uh, but the vast majority spew out what they've always just heard. Mm-hmm. Um, evolution's true. Well, can you define it for me? Most of them can't. Why do you think it's true? Well, bones. Bones. What, what yeah. do you mean bones? <laughs> you know, well, we have fossils. Okay. What do these fossils show? I don't know. Can you name a fossil? No, but fossils prove it. Okay. And so what I found is that most of the time it's that. And, and again, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I taught um, about a week and a half on evolution and the beginning of the election, it was like, creation is stupid. I can't believe that anyone would believe that God created the universe. That's just a bunch of nonsense. And at the end of two weeks on creation evolution, I got done and I said, you know, what do you guys think now? And, and the student rose his hand and I went, okay, this will be interesting. And he actually said, I can see why people believe in creation. And I went, that's a win. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> that is so awesome. And so uh, you know, when I present the evidence for the resurrection, uh, a lot of students, it's like, I didn't even know that that you could do this. I just thought, I just thought Christianity is a belief and Christian students are like, I've never heard this either. And so yeah. that to me is just so cool um, being able to really challenge them because most of them, it's just, they've grown up in China and in China, they just teach evolution and they teach naturalism and they, and that's just what they teach. And they come into my class and they go, science proves everything. And I go, does it really though? Well, Yeah. Okay, can you prove to me using science that you existed yesterday? And then they quickly realize you can't. Well, there's pictures; those are fabricated. I have memories; those are implanted in your brain. You know, <laughs> yeah. Right. And and you realize that there is knowledge in math and and philosophy and and history. And there's so much that we understand about the world that doesn't come from science and uh, that is presupposed by you know even something's presupposed by science. But to be able to present that to them, help them think through it deeply. You know, I have students that even if they're not Christian at the end of the year, it's, you know, one kid told me two nights ago, he said, I, maybe I'll be a Christian one day. And this was a kid that all year long pushed and pushed and pushed against me. And to the fact that he would even say maybe one day I went, oh my goodness, you know, something is getting through and it's just so exciting. Yeah. That's so important that, you know, people tend to focus on the win. You know, we got to get them to the foot of the cross and we got to get them to make that commitment. But just getting them moved along the path sometimes is a huge win that we don't often see or recognize. And I fall prey to that too. Um, two students come to mind specifically that had this year that's like, seriously, like, why are you not a Christian right now? Like, <laughs> yeah. th- 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 like what else could, and then, <laughs> then I have to step back and go, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not me. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, they're not but we've done our part. They are seriously considering it. And that is a huge win from where they were. And, and the sad part, and I, I was forgot to mention this just a minute, moment ago is that, you know, I have Christian students and specifically non-Christians, especially I remember my first year teaching at this school where a kid was a senior and he goes, I've been here for four years. He goes, this is the first time I've ever heard someone give a reason for why we should believe in Christianity. Wow. And I went, that's sad. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. sad that I have these kids that are seniors that have been taking Bible classes and they've grown up and some of them grown up in church. And it's always just been told what to believe, what to believe, what to believe. And they've never been given the why. Yeah, that's so important. And I think uh, Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell's new book, uh, they talk about giving two whys for every what and yeah. how important that is to explain, you know, not only the what God says, but why he's saying it. And that was always something I tried to do was explain that in this culture, you know, just saying the Bible said so isn't going to cut it. You have to unpack the logic behind it and show them why this makes sense, why this is a good thing. Because just simply saying the Bible said so isn't going to carry the weight it used to in the culture. 
and giving years and years of only the what and never those whys is part of why we're in some of the messes we are right now. Yeah. And I, and I wonder even then this just popped in my mind. So this isn't supported by anything. It's just a thought I have, but you know, because the statement, the Bible says so worked in the past, it's almost like a generation was brought up that maybe uh, didn't have to think through these things. It was just, well, the Bible says so. And then they're trying it on this generation and it doesn't work. And it's like, well, now what do we do? Yeah. You know, let's let's start giving them some whys. Let's start giving reasons. Why well, don't know the reasons? Well, you got to start figuring them out yourself. Yeah, and oddly, that was always where I seemed to get my pushback. The students really loved what we were doing. It was the parents that just kind of looked at you and scratched their head. And I, I don't why do we need this? Yeah, I don't understand why you're doing this. Why don't you know? When are they going to do the thing with the marshmallows where they shove them all in their mouth? Or <laughs> you know, when are we going to the beach again? And you know, the the kids were totally engaged and they loved it because they could ask questions and get answers. But the parents trying to get them to uh, see the value of it, it was difficult. And that's what I mean. And and students show that when you go to some of these events. And I know I see you guys every year at the Rethink Conference and just the number of students that go there. But even more specifically, I think about um, I'm going up to Hume Lake for Standard Reason three times this summer. And I've been there the last two years. And during the students' free time, I do an open Q&A where anyone can come in and, and ask questions. Now, granted, there's a ton of thousand high school students up there, and I don't get nearly that amount in my free in my Q&A. But I, I will get a decent number of students that will sit there for two or three hours during free time. They could be paintballing. They could be rock climbing. They could be swimming. They could be kayaking. They could be doing so much stuff. And they want to sit in a room for three hours and ask questions. And to me, that shows how much they value understanding Christianity and understanding the cultural issues that we have and, and the desire that they have to give good reasons to the, the problems that they're facing. And how much and, is missing from everywhere else. Yeah. And it's like, man, in my mind, it's like, we can't compete with Hollywood. When a, Hollywood spends, you know, millions of dollars to make a movie, and then I'm trying to out-entertain students with a, you know, $2 bag of marshmallows, like, yeah, yeah. yeah they can have fun and laugh, but like, Look, they're entertained all day long. They're entertained on their phone. They're entertained when they go home. You know, it's I just gave a final test today, and they wanted their phone when the final test was over. And I said, no, you're going to spend one hour talking to other classmates and playing some board games, not sitting on your phone. It's like, look, you're about to go sit on your phone all summer break. You can spend an hour without it. And so that's my view is like, look, when you're in, in youth group or something, hey, you can go two hours without being entertained. Now, obviously, we want to make it fun. We want to make it relational. But, uh, look, we can't compete with a lot of stuff that they're doing. Yeah, no, very good. So you talked a little bit about the uh, atheist role plays. Can you describe what that is for people who may not be familiar with it? Yeah, man, this is one of the coolest things I do, and um, it's so much fun. But it is really where I go in, and sometimes they know I'm a Christian and I'm role-playing it. Sometimes they actually think I'm an atheist. I just did it at a Christian high school in the area where I went into five of their Bible classes, and the uh, the teacher introduced me as a philosophy professor from a local university. But what I do is I will give about a five-minute introduction, and I'll normally hit three main kind of areas of arguments against Christianity. I'll, I'll say like, hey, I was a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. But then I realized uh, when I got to college, people believe things different me and that your belief is only based on where you were born and the, and the family you're born into uh, and that there are actually no good reasons to be a Christian. I'll mention that the Trinity is illogical because you can't have three gods in one God, which is not the view of the Trinity. Right. Uh, but I still have never had someone correct my view of the Trinity as being a false uh, explanation of it. 
Uh, I'll then go into um, Bible contradictions. I'll talk about Genesis 1 being anti-science. I'll talk about uh, the fact that you can't have light before the sun is created on day four. I'll talk about how Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 contradict each other, where in Genesis 1, man is at the end of creation, whereas Genesis chapter 2 uh, appears that man is at the beginning of creation. I'll then talk about a lot of the numbers throughout the Old Testament that have been changed. I then get into the New Testament, talk about how many angels were at the tomb, uh, what was written above Jesus' head, where did Jesus go after he was born, talk about the long ending of Mark, that even their Bibles admit that there are mistakes. And a lot of students are shocked by that. They have no idea that the long ending of Mark probably shouldn't be there and that their Bibles actually even admit this yeah. is not in early manuscripts. And then I talk about uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery in, in, in John chapter 7 and 8 um, and how that shouldn't be there. And so even their Bibles admit that there are mistakes. And so this book that they trust in is obviously ridiculous. Um, and then I get into, again, um, the the fact that there is no good reason to believe in God or anything and the Bible is nonsense. And and I take about five minutes to do that. And then I say, hey, but hey, let's open it for questions. What what do you, would you like to ask, ask me? And could you actually give me a good reason to be a Christian? And then I'll spend, depending on how much time I have, 30, 45 minutes of Q&A where they, again, they think I'm an atheist or they know I'm role-playing an atheist. And they begin to ask about evolution and any question that they have of how would an atheist respond. And they try to give reasons and I shoot down all the reasons. And then at the end of that, I'll reveal that I'm a Christian. And the, and the purpose, kind of a three-pole purpose is one, how did you do? And... Um, you know, one being we got destroyed by the atheist and 10 being we destroyed the atheist. And they will normally rate themselves about a two. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's about average. And so the first thing is to really help them see, look, you you failed flat yeah. out and uh, you don't know this as much as you think you do or you don't know as much yeah, as, as you could. And so, look, if you fail, there's some there's some improvement. And actually, one of the first atheist role plays I ever did the the kid, it was a junior high, like an eighth grader, and he looks at his pastor and he goes, Pastor, we need to know this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the pastor goes, what do you think we're doing? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. why we're starting this. And so it's such an encouragement for them when they realize they don't know. And this is kind of a side point, but it, it reminds me, I think last year I was up at a camp and a girl told me, she goes, I've been a Christian for about a year or two now. Uh, and, you know, I know everything. And it wasn't an arrogant, I know everything and I'm good. I literally think that she thought she did because her youth pastor and her teachers probably kept repeating the same stuff over and over and over again. She thought she'd heard it all. Yeah. yeah. And she's not aware of all these other arguments. The second reason for the atheist role play is to, uh, we ask them, um, uh, what were you feeling? And, and what, what, and what they will often say is I was, I was nervous. I was, um, I was angry. I was upset. One girl said I was sad. And I said, why? She goes, I couldn't stop thinking about how you're going to go to hell. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I said, but you couldn't give me any reasons for why I was actually going to go there. But, um, you know, and, and, and to show that, look, when you don't know how to respond, it, 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 Kind of man, your your temper starts to go. You start to get upset. You start to get angry, uh, and you are scared. And you want to run. You want to fight back. You want to do something rather than being confident because you know how to respond. Um, I also then will ask them, "How did you treat me?" And you know, sometimes it's I didn't treat you very well. And normally I've been treated decently well. But you know, Sean McDowell does this a lot, and he has an example where students booed him. 
And uh, they boo, boo, go home, Mr. Atheist. And uh, I watched one with Brett Kunkel where he was at an adult. He was doing this with adults and adults were yelling at him so much that the pastor had to get on the mic and say, hey, this is a guest in our church. You can't treat him like this. And so that's very eye opening, too, of, uh, man, the, the character that us as Christians have, that when our most fundamental beliefs are being challenged, how do we respond? Can we lovingly present good reasons or does it get us so upset that we start fighting back and mistreating the person. And so those are kind of the character things that we kind of focus on, how they respond and how they feel. And then we will spend time. Um, Okay, we can't go over everything that I mentioned, but just so you know, everything I said is either false or there is an answer to it. So don't walk out of here freaking out. And uh, there are there's good answers you can find, but we only have a little bit of time left. What are some of the big things I brought up that you want kind of to think through a little bit more deeper. And then we'll spend 20 or so minutes kind of going over some things that I said that they don't know how to respond to and that they want answers to. And this is kind of uh, as Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell present in their new book, uh, in Jay Warner Wallace's acronym train, this is the beginning T of testing them. And it's kind of like, you know, you're not going to go buy a new car unless you realize that your car has problems and you actually need one. If you think your car is good, you're not interested in a new car. And so the same sort of thing is if you think you're solid in your faith and you're not interested in taking time to study more and you kind of have to be tested and show you failed, you're not ready uh, to kind of get a little kick in the the backside and uh, start preparing a little bit more uh, uh, with more fervency. The theological check engine light. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, when I first started youth ministry, um, I did a lot of research the year before I took it over. And, you know, decided I definitely wanted to teach apologetics. And it was right before Cold Case Christianity came out. And I had Jay Warner Wallace and his son Jimmy came out and did an atheist role play for us. Yeah, Jimmy Wallace was the first atheist role play I was ever in. Yeah. All right. (laughs) You you know, the difference, I taught apologetics for the first couple weeks and kind of had a lukewarm reception. But after that, it was everybody was bought in. They're Mm -hmm. like, man, we need to know this because we just got you know, spanked at this atheist role play. Yeah, and it was absolutely. Funny. Yeah, the weeks leading up to it, it was all, you know, bravado. Oh, yeah, we're going to take down this atheist. And yeah, it uh, didn't turn out quite the way they expected. It did not end well. No. Although but it is so very, cool on how much it motivates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I give our group credit. They were very kind to Jimmy. You know, no one uh, was inappropriate. So I was happy that we at least kept our composure. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So that's kind of the first step in uh, taking care of this problem is recognizing that there is a problem. But I know you're working with Maven now and you guys do some steps beyond the atheist role play uh, with some mission trips to Berkeley and uh, Salt Lake City. Can you kind of describe what those are like? Yeah. So there are three different trips that Maven does. Uh, There's an apologetics immersive experience. uh, There's the uh, biblical immersive experience and then the worldview immersive experience. And so each one of these is goal is to focus on a different aspect. And so the apologetics trip obviously is going to focus on apologetics, science, philosophy, uh, where we we train in in those aspects, and then we take students to Berkeley or other places. Uh, there was a, there was a trip scheduled this summer for DC, and we have them talk to people with different view systems, and it's so cool. Uh, up at Berkeley, we have students. I mean, we have atheists from the San Francisco Atheist Organization come in, and uh, real atheists and challenge the students. And it's so amazing after these students have been trained uh, to show how to see how they respond. And they've gone through an atheist role play. They've gone through the training and they can f- call out logical fallacies. And a recent trip I wasn't on, but 
they went to a universalist, Unitarian Universalist church, and the pastor started by saying that there is no truth. And then later on, he said something is true, and a student raised you know, their hand and said, well, hold on a second. You just said that there was no truth, and now you're saying there is truth. Which one is it? And you know, it, it caught him off guard. He didn't know what to say. Yeah. Um, and, and so here you have these young students. And, and the last trip I went on to Berkeley, man, there's like freshman, sophomore girls going on campus and talking with Berkeley students and really challenging them to think. And it's so cool as we go discuss worldview and uh, apologetics and, and giving reasons for Christianity in a place that has a vast number of religious views and non-religious views. Um, and then the other trip that I've been on is the Utah trip, which is the biblical trip. And so what we do and realize is that Mormons really know their theology well. And so we, again, do a Mormon role play and we do training in Mormonism and we focus on Christian theology of who is God and who is Jesus. Because what you'll find with Mormons is that they use all the same vocabulary, but they mean something vastly different. Uh, it doesn't mean the same thing when they say Jesus is the Son of God or that he died for our sins and that sort of stuff. And then we take students out to Utah where we go door to door, just like Mormons do here. We go there and and go to the university housing at BYU and knock on doors and evangelize. We go on to BYU campus into the cafeteria and talk with students there. And, and again, pointing people to who the real Jesus is and the true gospel. And it is so cool, so encouraging. And man, so many of them are, are excited. And, and even the Mormons are uh, want to keep the conversation going. And will give us email addresses to where we can continue that. And so that's kind of my work that I do with Maven and, and making sure that students are prepared and, uh, and really know their theology, their apologetics, and then specifically getting them out and actually doing it. And what you find is that, you know, day one at, at Berkeley campus, um, they're scared, they're nervous, they don't know what to say. Uh, day three, or even at BYU, day two or three of going in onto campus, they don't want to leave. Can we go back in the cafeteria and talk to more students? They are just so excited. And the coolest thing is then when they get home, they're calling up their Mormon missionaries. Hey, come on over. I want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, things that, you know, that you would never assume a sophomore in high school is excited about doing. And they are because they've they've seen how well Christianity can respond. They put it into practice and they've just, man, now have this new passion and desire to do it. And it transforms the way that they they act and live around their family and, and their friends at school. Yeah, that's so great. My wife always gives me a hard time because she says I'm the only one she knows that actually gets excited when the Mormon missionaries show up at our door. And she she's excited because I invite them back and I clean the house before they get here. So <laughs> yeah, the more missionaries that show up, the cleaner the house is. So she's thrilled <laughs> with this. I have never seen Mormon missionaries in my apartment complex until the other night they walked by and I went, please stop, please stop, right. please stop. And they didn't. They walked right on by. Maybe our apartment complex has, you know, an invite only or something. But yeah, I have the same like, come on, please knock on my door. Let's talk. Yeah. The other weird thing is we have a Jehovah's Witness. What are they? Are they wards or are they um, hall? No, Kingdom Hall, right? Kingdom Hall. Yes. Yeah. They're fairly close to us and they've been coming around, but they only want to speak to us if we speak Spanish. Yeah which is sort of odd. I've never run across that before. But see, you'd be in good shape on that count, too. Well, yeah, so, so they would show up at my old house, and uh, they'd say, hola, como esta? And I'd be like, oh, bien ustedes. And they go, oh, you speak <laughs> Spanish. And, and uh, so that was always fun, yeah. So these um, mission trips, how would someone get a hold of you guys if they wanted to get their church involved in one of these mission trips? Yeah, so they can either go to maventruth.com. Uh, it's going through a website building process, and so there's uh, there's maybe some, there's a contact form you can fill out, and it can be transferred to the right person. 
or um, you can send an email to me. Uh, you can go to Coffeehouse Questions. My contact page is there, and I, I am the training coordinator for all the trips, and so I will definitely be able to get someone to the right person to begin the process of setting up and getting more information on what the trips look like if you go to coffeehousequestions.com or maventruth.com. Nice. And I know you guys did one trip this summer where you were inviting, or it may not have happened yet, where you were inviting people that may not be part of a church group if they wanted to come as individuals. Yeah. So that has actually been rescheduled for next summer. Long story, but you know, a, a group had canceled. We had an open week and said, hey, let's see if we can throw something together really quick. And it was just too last minute because we've never done a trip like that. Sure. It's not a specific group we've trained. And so it was too last minute to really get it to work. So actually that has probably, it's been rescheduled. It'll most likely be happening next summer. And so we're, I'm going to really start pushing hard to try to get people to start signing up so we have the time to to train. But yeah, that'll be an open enrollment. And so if you're like, man, I'm a part of a church and my church would never do this, but I would love to do it. Well, you can sign up. You can come by yourself. And then hopefully that'll kind of, uh, you know, not only encourage you, but maybe get something going on at your church if a few students can come out. Yeah, you know, I think if a couple of the students went and came back and shared that with their, their church, it would create a lot of excitement. Um, I know we used to do uh, campus surveys, and <laughs> we would get some really creative answers to some of the questions on those surveys, but that was always uh, one of the highlights of the the year. You know, we'd get done with that and review them the next week, and when are we going back to the campus? Because that's just so much fun. Definitely where we got the most stories to tell afterwards. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Ryan, I know you just got done giving us your information, but where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you or read your stuff or follow your podcast? Yeah. So coffeehousequestions.com has everything. My videos, uh, podcasts, articles, everything is, is up there. And then also um, what I didn't mention last week, and I guess I'll mention now, is if you follow on Instagram at RyanPolly3, I post all the videos that I record on there. And I also uh, ask questions for people on Instagram as well. So if you follow, I say, hey, what, what topics do you, would you like to see covered? And what video do you want to see come out next? And, and people comment. And then that's kind of where I get a lot of my content. So that can kind of help you be a little bit more involved than simply just reading articles and watching videos, but actually being able to participate, ask questions for the interviews I do on my podcast and everything. And then those videos also get posted on YouTube. And that's under my my name, Ryan Polly. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you being with us the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's been so much fun. We've really enjoyed having you. I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it and keep up the awesome work. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening. Check out tentmakingchristianity.com. Next week, I have two interviews, one live on YouTube with Adherent Apologetics on July 3rd, and then Friday with Dr. Jones discussing did God command genocide in the Old Testament. So follow on social media, check out the new calendar on Facebook, and see all the new things happening with Coffeehouse Questions and send in your questions. Thank you so much for listening. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly.